Welcome back, fellow ufologists. Today we have Ryan Stacy, who's coming uh, to us from Ontario, right, Ryan? That's correct. And journalist, UFO paranormal researcher. He's also a private investigator, a certified private investigator, I should add. He's also uh, co-hosts a podcast called Beyond the uh, the Tinfoil Hat, uh, which is actually is, is quite brilliant, and I suggest that you look it up. Uh, where could they find this podcast, uh, Ryan? Uh, right now, we're on all your all all the podcast stations. I guess you could just search it on on Google, but mainly Spotify there. But we do have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Beyond the Tinfoil Hat. Um, you can find it there. Nice. So uh, just for the audience to know, I found Ryan on Instagram as I was just flipping through uh, different pictures on Instagram and found his his site. And I noticed he's a fellow Canadian. Uh, he's a fellow ufologist and he's an investigator uh, trying to promote uh, investigation and, and train other investigators, which is the total purpose of this podcast. So he had to be on the program today. Uh First and foremost, Ryan, I always ask this of my guests, but what brought you into ufology to begin with? Uh, that's a, I have quite the story, but what got, what got me into it in the first place, I think with, for many people is, is, is the X-Files. You know, I grew up watching the X-Files and, uh, you know, I've always been interested in all things unusual, paranormal activity as well. Uh, I really, I really got into ufology uh, I think somewhere in 2015, um, actually, I actually joined MUFON at that point. Nice. And th- what did you think when you first started investigating with MUFON? Like, how, how did you find that journey? Uh, well, when I first started with MUFON, MUFON was great. I mean, it was a, a very good uh, resource to have. It at, so for me, I guess, I being a private investigator at that time as well, because I've been a private investigator for... for uh, 2000, since 2009. So I guess at that time I was a, a private investigator for, I guess, six years. So always having an interest in the scientific method and the, UF, you know, MUFON had that ufological approach, uh, the training academy and all that other stuff that was appealing to me. Um, so I had applied to MUFON USA, not knowing there was a Canadian chapter. Then I was introduced to the Canadian chapter and then I got swarmed with cases. And my journey through that has been a roller coaster, good and bad, but, um, mostly good. Um, so for me, MUFON was a great resource for me to get information, uh, to actually dive in and do some cases. So I actually quite... I actually enjoyed my journey with MUFON a lot. And you must have gotten some cases that were good enough that even though you might not be doing cases with MUFON anymore, got you still continuing to investigate the phenomenon. Yes, yes. Um, I actually have, before I left MUFON, I almost cleared a thousand cases in the CMS. Um, that is, if you check the CMS, that is like the largest record anyone uh, in their tour of MUFON has had. I was very active. I was very involved. Um, and I learned quite a lot, uh, in doing so. And the research had carried over with what I'm doing now independently. 
um, where I'm focused more, more so on investigating everything now, not just uh, UFOs. Uh, more, uh, I'm focused, a more focused study on the experiencers themselves, the ones who see the UFOs, the ones who are taking uh, taken upon the craft. So I still do the the general investigations as I would as I used to through MUFON, but I'm going one step further now um, in trying to actually, uh, I guess, hypothesize what type of experiencer or individual is prone to having uh, a certain type of experience. And at the same time, because um, MUFON is, is very good for UFO, um, but they don't, uh, they're not uh, equipped to investigate paranormal or, you know, uh, you know, any, any of the other high strangenesses, strangenesses, uh, which was a struggle I've always had with MUFON, um, is not knowing, you know, cause they get a lot of those cases and not really having a, a resource to do it. So now I'm studying everything uh, individually, but comparing it together. So it's actually enhancing uh, my ufological approach because I'm learning more through the people, um, studying the people than I ever did uh, studying the photos and the videos that I get through MUFON. Does that make, does that make it sense? It does make sense. And that's your project yeah. TESSA, right? Yes, Tessa, the Experiencer Support Association. And so if somebody is an experiencer and they want to get in contact with you, what exactly kind of, what, what kind of experience are they expecting? Um, well, I don't know what they're expecting because uh, I don't know what their experience or event was um, or if it's the first time they've ever reported to anyone or if they're reporting to us after reporting to another group because like not MUFON is a reporting group as well, but they're not the only one. A lot of people take in reports and investigate different ways and handle things differently. Um, I can, I guess I could say, I don't really want to compare. I could, I, I, I want to say that Tessa is is different, um, but it's it's designed to be an assist or a support in the sense of, um, how do I say this? Um, we provide, I guess, the experiencer with some sort of support at the end of the investigation. So like with, when you get a case for MUFON, for, um, you usually take the information in, you'll do the research, you'll do the, you'll, you'll do the process. You'll talk to the experience, uh, talk to the witness. Um, and then you'll formulate an opinion and they'll, they'll either accept the opinion or they won't. And then you close the case and then you move on to the next case. So we do all that as well. Uh, but then we try to match them with other experiencers that may be experiencing the same thing. Then we also try to match them with other, um, some healing pseudosciences, such as like Reiki or regression, hypnotherapy or float tanking, you know, something to, to aid in bringing down the anxiety or the depression or the, the emotions that are attached to the, these witnesses or these experiencers. So we basically focused more on contactees than uh the crafts themselves but in so it really depends on what you're looking for if you're just reporting a a sighting um then we can do some research research for you too anybody can really do that we're just formulating an opinion based on whatever evidence you've collected Um, but we try to we are really trying to take that story and digging deep enough into you as an individual and to find out if, if you've encountered more than just one thing. Because well, what I'm finding in our research is that some people, it starts with one light in the sky, but if you really dig into it, multiple things have happened to them in their lives. 
and we call them multiple experiencers. Um, and then when we investigate every single case individually and then group them all together, we have a better story and a better understanding of, of the individual themselves. Um, I don't know. I've never really had to explain it um, in this detail before, but to put it simple, we try to go one step beyond for the benefit of the, the one who's reporting because if it wasn't for you uh people like you and myself wouldn't be able to do what we do so we try to give them the best you know the best attention that we can that's available to us absolutely and that would be an encouragement for uh any other investigators out there to approach it though very uh gently and maybe always have like some sort of therapist involved in a process because you know for just the average person investigating there's probably a lot of emotional mental um distress that these people have gone through i know that um i spoke with um uh, a hypnotherapist not that long ago uh, and that's what she specializes in here in in vancouver okay and i asked her i because in vancouver we have um, the lower mainland many different cultures we have a lot of asians uh, a lot of uh, East Indians, uh, Punjabis. Okay. Uh, so there's, and we're quite a diverse group. And I asked her out of everybody that she gets that comes in for help, how many of them are different ethnicities? Mm-hmm. And she said, primarily the people that come forward are white males. Have you found that to be the case? Uh, well, that's interesting. I, I just did. So in my, so if you go to the website, tessacan.org slash data or data, however you want to pronounce it, there, there will be two reports that I put out. You'll also find my two reports from MUFON Canada from previous years, just on UFO data. And I actually did a release uh, analysis on the experiencers um, from 2019. And what I actually discovered is that majority of the experiencers that came forward were, were actually female um, between, I don't forget what ages they were. So it's quite opposite of what you just said. Uh, based on our study. So, I mean, that could be a difference of uh, geographics, I guess, because I'm in Ontario, you're in BC. Um, Our message or method, I guess, you know, the approach, all that stuff is is different, right? No. We all... No, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to ask with the females, because, I mean, there's always a lot of talk from those experiencers about being inseminated somehow being impregnated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that something that you have a lot of well one is enough to be honest you know what do you what do you consider a lot right like there's there's a variance of different types of reports so like um i've had a lot of those happen while i worked with mufon for as far as tessa goes like i mean like we've had it's hard it's hard to it's hard to segregate those between my entire career because like my research kind of carried over between uh, groups, right? So I can say that I have had several cases where um, I guess extraterrestrial contact left them possibly impregnated. Um, I can say that, you know, that that has happened. Is it a lot? Well, it's hard to say. It's hard to say because I never really measured those against uh, all the cases communitively so it's enough it's, it's strange as it is real you know like it's something that shouldn't be happening anybody lied to you like have you had that experience 
Well, you can't, well, even as a private investigator investigating, you know, crime or infidelity or child support, custody battles, things like that, you know, unless I'm wired to the brain, you know, I can't really definitively say somebody is lying. Um, You can definitely, I've crossed examined, you know, you know, people in their testimony and their statements and some information doesn't match. There's some, some people will claim to have evidence and they've never produced it. I mean, there, there's definitely some cases where markers would not be met and I would formulate an opinion that they may not be, uh, telling, telling me the truth. Um, but the, there are to say that they're lying to me, I wouldn't be able to confirm that. I don't think there's any way I could confirm it unless I set them up on a lie detector test. But for me, my investigative techniques are, I wouldn't say intrusive, but they're very thorough in the sense that they take a lot of time. They're not rushed. Um, and in doing so, uh, the approach changes as time goes on, which, but you I basically look at the information that's reported and I compare that to an earlier statement and then the later statement after treatment by treatment, I mean like regression or something to bring the anxiety down um, and just basically compare what, you know, similar stories, because if somebody's going to lie, their story will change a little bit, but there has to be like, even with conspiracy. So like there has to be some truth in order for it to be believable. So in order to figure out what the lie is, um, it takes a lot of time. And um, for me, what I basically do is I, I make a bunch of check marks and a lot of markers. And if you make meet all those checkpoints and you're still telling the same story and you really do believe within your heart of hearts that this event has happened, you know, I can't really tell you what you, what you saw, what you didn't see. So in a nutshell... No, I can't tell if anybody's lied to me, but there there has been many cases where people were not cooperative enough in giving me enough information to do what I need to do to formulate a proper opinion. Does that make, does that make sense? It does. Uh, I've heard a lot about that, that people start off well wanting help and then just fade and then don't respond anymore. Yeah, that could be a number of things. Uh, the the person that they reach to, because we all are have different personalities. We all have a different approach in investigations. We all are trained differently in investigating, even if you follow the Bible from MUFON there, the, that field investigator manual. You know, there's there's many different approaches and methods and and we're not. It's hard. It's very hard. And that's, that's what I like, too. That's, those are things that I look for, too. Not the common story from a, you know, don't tell me a story that, uh, that reminds me of an episode of Star Trek or something I've seen when I was a kid, you know, like something that, that interesting lead, you know, that, that kind of seals the coffin, you know. Because, like, if you're doing an investigation for a crime, you know, and, and like, and you find, like, I don't know, like a puzzle piece, you know, at the crime scene. And then all of a sudden you find that same puzzle piece in somebody else's home. Like that's the odds of that puzzle piece being uh, at that person's home, you know, like are are very rare. So it's very easy to connect the dots that that person was in that room at that time. Right. 
So I like when people say oddball things because it's it's uh, it's something you've never heard before. Those things are interesting because it makes me think that they actually saw something. It's not blinded or mixed between the mainstream media, the things that we've been programmed to see all these years, right? And and the tricky part is, and the good thing with, I want to say the good thing, but the one th- advantage we have with Tessa is um, we're able, our, like, our case management system, our reporting system, is to compare quite easily these um, images that people report um, to actually see these interesting common uniqueness and uh, and categorize them which is an advantage we have there's too. two videos that surfaced on the internet within the last week that shows a very brilliant ball of light uh coming out of a backyard of a of a residence and you could see it just lights up the whole neighborhood uh i've seen two videos like that okay. they don't seem to be from the same neighborhood uh but people having cameras outside of their homes or on the doorbells now are capturing things that in the middle of the night we are not paying attention to because we're all asleep. And that's when these little buggers come in and do their thing. And it's just a matter of time now before they capture an actual abduction. Uh, because we see it from, you know, the neighbor's house that has it, but eventually as it becomes a commonality to have uh, cameras at your front door, somebody's going to capture something that will be like, holy crap. This is the part that I'm worried about the most about the the whole disclosure project, Uh, because you could disclose, okay, they're here. And a lot of people will will still dismiss the abduction phenomenon, Uh, but they shouldn't because if they are taking people, that is still against their will and there's nothing we can do about it. That's more terrifying, I think, to the public than they are here just, you know, watching from a distance. They're not. They are taking people and... Even Unsolved Mysteries are now covering sort of these uh, subjects as well. They always have, but in the newest uh, series on Netflix, I was quite happy to see. I haven't seen that one yet. I, I knew it was there. I, I meant to watch that one. Is it good? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. This one, uh, this one was quite trippy. It's a story that I've heard before from one of the witnesses, but this one, they actually right. went back and there's just tons of people that came forward and tons of people that were on board the ship at the same time. It's quite trippy. Yeah, it's quite good. Uh, Okay. So now I got to ask you, I need some tips. I need some tips on investigation. And I think as a private uh, investigator yourself, is there tips that you. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you're move on train, right? So, so that's good. You got the basics. Um, I don't know about tips. So like, the best advice that I could give is ask a lot of questions, spend a lot of time with the witness. Don't rush it. Um, I like I don't know what you know, what you what you've learned, but uh, like the things that I find for me that's successful uh, is to go at each experiencer's pace um, and try to learn more about about them than the actual event. Because you want to find out, um, I don't know, regression is a good tool to use as well. So it depends. Like, there's so many things. Like, like what kind of investigator are you? Are you, are you like, uh, a data-oriented guy? Or are you in the field kind of guy? Are you a phone? Like, obviously, you like to, to do the podcast, or you're more of a, uh, a talker, right? So you like to talk to your, your people. Like, how do, you, how do you do your investigation? Yeah, well, so far, because of the uh, whole COVID situation, most of my investigation has been all computer 
Um, not many phone calls. I am more of a, I'd like to be on the field, especially um, if somebody's had an experience to record it, even though, uh, you know, if they want to remain anonymous, that's fine. But I would like to record their sessions um, to hear their story because in person, uh, I'm very, um, what's the word, empath in the sense of like, I feel people's emotions. Yeah. Uh, and I'm usually good at detecting somebody's full of shit. And again, you know, I, I'm not expecting that, but it can happen. And I would rather be with the person. Yeah. So even if you think they're full of shit, for an example, you still have to be professional enough and, and try to show, uh, not show that you don't believe them. You always want to, even if you think they're lying, you, you want to, you always want to be there for them because in their own mind, they might, uh, they may not know that they're lying. They may, they might have some, some previous trauma from a, a legitimate explanation from back in the day, maybe child, uh, you know, child abuse or something or parent abuse or something in the past that they're actually associating, um, paranormal or UFO abductions with as a, as a way to, um, uh, I guess mask or accept something very tragic that's ever happened to them. And that's happened to us a lot. We've gotten a lot of cases where we've done that, but in their mind, they believe they've been abducted by something. And it's really hard to, even when your gut tells you that they're not telling the truth, the ramifications of telling someone they're lying, you know, it, it, that, that could blow up against you as well. Right. So I would, I would advise to try, and keep those opinions to yourself in your own internal studies while trying to help everyone too. Ask a lot of questions. If they say something that doesn't make sense of you, ask them to repeat it back to you or, or repeat it back to them to make sure that you actually understood what they said because maybe they didn't mean it that way. Um, a very good tactic that I use uh, when I think someone is lying to me is I'll ask them to tell me the, once I get the account, because it's usually told in the sequence, I'll ask them to tell it back, tell it to me again, but backwards. So starting with the last thing they remember and then work their way back to the first thing they remember. And the reason why I do that is because it's very easy for people to lie and make things up as they move forward. But if, if it's not actually recorded in their brain, didn't actually happen, they won't be able to tell you fact for fact on the way backwards because they just made it up on the spot. They, their short-term memory hasn't kicked in. Their long-term memory hasn't kicked in because they haven't told the story before. So, you know, that, that is, you know, you're kind of intentive, you're kind of, you're paying attention. You're like, I just want to make sure I got the details right. So, you know, uh, you know, you left the craft. Okay. But before that you did what? Okay. And before that you did what, but you've already written down the details in sequence. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Yeah. That's a very quick and smart, easy way to determine if someone is lying. Now they're not going to get every every tactic backwards like you know try to say the alphabet backwards we know the alphabet like we should know the alphabet a through z but to say it backwards requires some thinking but you might make a mistake here and there so it's not it's not a perfect uh plan to use but see now you just pointed one of my worst fears is to be pulled over by a cop <laughs> and then he <laughs> asked me to recite the alphabet backwards because even sober i can't do it yeah, I would just ask him to do it. You do it first. Let's yeah. see if you can do it. Yeah. yeah, like no, I can't. I can't do that. There's certain things, like even numbers, mm -hmm. past a certain level of math, I, the brain cuts out. Right. So uh, there's only. Uh, uh, 
That's okay. No, I was just going to, I just, you, you made me think of something too. So like another tip that I could provide is, is to always don't take the, cause you're, you're asking other experts to get information too. And this is good for your, your listeners. This is good for you who's getting into this, but don't take anything I say for, for, for value as well. Question it too. look it up, try things that work. Like if even the people that are out there that are before us, that, that, you know, has been doing this a long time. If, if something they do, uh, they're giving advice, but you know, you should always, always fact check it anyways, just in case they miss something or, or, or they've been telling the story for so long that they, they missed a couple things, you know, like as an investigator, I would question everything. I would fact check everything as an independent until you are satisfied. Right. Cause like, you know, I could tell you in my expert opinion, you know, based on the thousand cases that I've investigated previously, based on, you know, my experience, I believe this to be such and such. I do have a background. I do have, I do have a history with MUFON. I have done a long tour with them. I have put a lot of cases uh, in the CMS and I am a licensed private investigator, but um, that doesn't mean that every single case that I put out was 100% accurate. I could have made a mistake. I could have missed something. You know, so as much of as, as an expert as some people claim to be, I, you know, I would, I always put my work out there and expect people to fact check it because if they find a mistake in my work um, and they, and they're nice enough to tell me that, you know, I'll be offering them a seat in Tesla because they'd be like, okay, well, it's good. You pointed something out to me that I, I wasn't aware of and, and, you know, and then now all of a sudden, uh, an unknown may become a known, right? Because when we classify things, because we, I classify a lot of things as inconclusive or unidentified. And when I say unidentified, that doesn't mean it's a global unidentified, uh, identify identification. What that means is out of all the knowledge and experience and expertise that I have behind me, I don't know what it is. So when I present it as unidentified, it doesn't mean that the entire world has looked at it. And there's, that's an issue, too, with, with when people put stuff out. It's, it's just they don't know what it is. So what I, would, what I would want is for somebody to look at it and be like, I've seen this. I know what it is. And then you get – so every case is continuously open. Never close a case 100%. You know, I know with MUFON there's a, a time limit I think they rec- they like to have your cases closed by a certain three time. months. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know. But what if you don't what what if you don't have all the information, right? So like, I never really agreed with that. But that's their system. That's their method. That's the way they want to do things. I think um, I think it was it put in some- just to stop procrastinators from indefinitely holding cases and not completing them. Yeah, no, I, I get that. They've been around for a long time. They have a lot of cases, I mean, to, to triage and, and whatnot. For me, less is more. I mean, I, I don't get nearly as much cases as I did independently. Um, that's because uh, I spend, I like, I take my time with cases because I, I really dive into them. I really, I want to learn as much as I, as I can. There's no rush, really, because we don't, <laughs> we don't have the answers. We don't know uh, you know, we don't have anything else to compare it to. So the only thing we can really compare it to is our own work. So for you as an investigator, as an individual, whether you're part of MUFON or not, the cases that you get, I would study those as much as you can. Even if you close them for MUFON's sake, you know, go back to them, compare them. If you learn something new, like if you did a UAP, 
investigation and you see something uh, that looks similar, start comparing your cases again. Reopen them and look at it and see what information. Teach yourself as much as you can about that specific phenomenon until you are able to identify it. And if you can, if you have two unidentified, then, then you have a, um, another strong piece of evidence to support that this particular phenomena, uh, is, is substantial. Like, um, I'll give you an example. When I first started out with MUFON, I didn't really know what a, a like I've never really investigated this phenomenon before, but I didn't really know what a sky lantern was. And I like I knew what they were, but I, did, I wasn't able to identify it through research through the MUFON system because a um, the type of evidence that was provided by the witness, um, the, the explanation that was given to it, there wasn't enough uh, data to actually work with. And all of a sudden, so I had a bunch of these unidentified things because I didn't know what they were. But then all of a sudden I came across one really good case where I was able to do some research in terms of having some supporting links. I was able to have some um, uh, some witness statements to, to uh, pinpoint an actual launch of Sky Lanterns at a specific time. So I was able to identify that specific case. But by doing that, I then look back at my old cases and realize, you know what, those were sky lanterns too. Why? Because they look the same and this was there and the check the, then I check the weather and then I go back and all of a sudden these unidentifies became identified. So you yourself as an investigator are investigating this phenomenon in general. You work with a group of people, collaborate, collaborative, like a large team of people doing things together within the country. Um, so, you know, don't forget that you are an individual as well. That's the, that's the main tip I want to leave you with is, is, is still remember the brand. So remember how you got to where you are. Um, like I'm independent now, but if it, I'd be, it'd be silly of me to say that I, uh, this opportunity wasn't there because if it wasn't for MUFON, MUFON didn't give me the opportunity to dive into cases, um, like I have, I wouldn't be able to be who I am today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing about, um, you know, any investigator out there in the world, if you can't join an organization, that's a little bit more difficult for obtaining cases because the organizations usually deal out the cases to the field investigators uh, once they pass their certification. And it's harder, you know, obviously, if you live in, you know, let's say Mumbai and there's nobody in Mumbai that's doing this. Uh, and there's no organization, just know that you could start, uh, you know, a branch with MUFON there. Uh, you just connect with uh, the United States MUFON headquarters and get that established there. So there's ways for you, even though there might not be that resource there, to actually start something. And it's all about momentum. There's no, nobody else is going to do it. So you might as well if you have the interest in it, right? And, and that's good too. And, and not to, not that I'm going to speak poorly of MUFON. MUFON is great for, for having a network of like-minded working on, uh, the same standard training and the same information to, to, to solve the, one of the world's greatest mysteries. Um, but I've always been an advocate on trying to teach the experiencers or the witnesses themselves on how to investigate individually without an organization for the purpose of us investigators receiving better data to work with, i.e. teaching someone how to use a cell phone properly to capture a, a an orb, you know, 
like uh, like Tessa actually we we've we're in the middle of developing what's called Interstellar, which is the Academy of UFOlogy and Paranormal Studies. And what this program is designed to do is is teach the public or uh, in, provide enhanced courses that aren't necessarily included in the MUFON curriculum um, as additive tools that any investigator, no matter what group they're part of, could could use as a resource, uh, whether you're part of an organization or you're independent, just like me and other people. Um, we're actually putting together, we have a team where we're going to be putting together the basic tools that anybody could use, no matter where they are, just so that way, whoever you report to, whether it's Tessa or MUFON or I can't even think of any other reporting agency, but you know, those are just the big ones, but like, uh, you, you get what I'm saying? So, so as long as you know how to capture the evidence, because that's, that's what really matters is, is we need, we can talk about this left, right and center forever and ever and theorize on it, but we need, we need to show the individuals how to, how to get it on film, how to get it on tape. So that way we can look at it and and reinforce it or support it and uh and study it you get what i'm saying there's nothing more frustrating than trying to watch some footage of let's say orbs and the camera mm -hmm. just keeps jiggling and wiggling and then they're trying to focus yeah. on it and they're zooming back it's like it's drives yeah. me nuts it might be great footage the but drives me nuts yeah so if you're one of those guys that likes to film this stuff and you're reporting it to MUFON or Tessa or anybody else that you, you know, that you, you've heard of, um, please do not zoom in. Just film it as you see it. Look at it with your naked eyes, film it. And then when you're done and it's saved, then you can zoom into it. And the reason for that is when you zoom in, it changes, uh, I think it changes from optical zoom to digital zoom, which ruins the clarity. It's also harder for you to stabilize the camera, and and when we go to look at it on the receiving end, it 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 destroys the file. It's really hard to make out the object. The best way to do it again, record it as is, and then let and then dump it into a software and then zoom in and enhance it. Because once it's already like digitally enhanced, you you've ruined the sample, and it's really hard. It's really hard to support it. It's uh, very easy to have something very good and authentic be um, thrown in the trash can by a debunker because because it's a shit quality video, even if it's a legitimate thing. It it hurts the uh, the actual event. It, it hurts yeah. the it hurts the, uh, the the case in itself. But you, the the witness themselves, they can't blame them because they're like, oh my god, what the hell is that? And they pull out their cell phones, right? Yeah, a lot of the. Uh, the cell phones that we have now, I mean, the quality of film and even um, I got a Think U7 uh, LG phone and the okay. camera on this yeah. is amazing. It has even like a night feature that I can actually right. see the stars if it's dark enough, uh, which nice. I think, okay, well, this is why I bought the phone because if I see anything, I have something that could do a good mm -hmm. job on the go. Uh, this leads me right. to my question. Is there any piece of equipment that you like to use on the field quite a bit? Um, depends on what I'm looking for. Remember, I'm a, you know, if we want to talk specifically about UFOs, because I investigate everything, my cell phone is the best, best piece of equipment because Google's in my hand. Um, I got Flight 24, like I, even though I'm not with MUFON, I still use those apps. I got Stellarium still on my phone. 
Skywatch, you know, like all these Flight 24 to check for planes, you know, satellites. Like tonight, just before we, before I came up upstairs, we actually saw the International Space Station go by. And uh, the group that I was with, some thought it was a UFO. And I, was, I pulled out my phone and said, no, look, it's the ISS. Look, here's the app. Just pulled out Stellarium because Stellarium, um, that's, that's, you guys still use Stellarium, right? Move on. We do. I, I use mine yeah. on the PC because I haven't uh, downloaded okay. it on my uh, cell phone yet. Yeah, so the, the cell phone app you got to pay for. It's free on the PC, but uh, it's worth it because I was able to pull it out in real time and, and show them and educate them. Like, look, that's the International Space Station. It's low orbiting. See all this data, blah, blah, blah. Um, another thing, too, is like I have this one tool. It's a level, you know, if you, and I have a vibrational meter on it as well, too. So if it picks up sounds or vibration to see if, you know, maybe the audio that was picked up on uh, – on your recording device, you hear these weird sounds. Well, it could have been a, a you know, a low decibel rumble from a, a train track down the road. Like there's basically tools that could measure quick and easily before you draw your conclusions, because there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside of the video. That's another thing too, is context, right? When we get these videos, we, we don't understand what they were doing beforehand. We just have the video. Yes. Yeah. And that's really where the witnesses uh, come in handy because the more witnesses to an event or that we can get to give their disposition on the case, the better. Uh, it makes the case more valid. The best tool, though, would be pen and paper because cell phones die um, and not everybody has one. And the work that I've done with Tessa and the reason why it takes really long, a really long time to get through is most of the real, the really, I want to say dirty stuff, but the really scary or interesting events um, are those who experience things that have absolutely no evidence. Why? Because there's no time or it's that terrifying or it's, it's they're in the moment. The last thing they want to do is grab a cell phone because they're not thinking about it. So if you have a pen and paper, just because they don't have a video or a picture, if you can get them to draw what they saw and you get 100 people to draw and they end up drawing the same thing, that's evidence too. You don't have to have a picture. You don't have to have a video. You just need to have 100 people draw the same thing from you know, 100 places in, in the world. That's, collabor that's collaborating evidence. And just, right? and just to break it down for the uh, others listening, it's always good to separate the witnesses and if they're going to draw mm -hmm. something have them draw it separately during their interview with you so that that way you can see um if there's some consistencies to their story and some people might see different features uh than the other people you know i mean a, a good analogy that i always use for that is like is like religion like when like religion has changed many times over the years and we have many different beliefs many different faiths today but it all goes back down to one event one event where multiple people had witnessed some people went to one camp and other people went to the other camp and both of them told the story but they focused on whatever resonated to them or whatever they understood and both both camps didn't say the same thing and then and then they repeated the story over and over again through time and then that's why we have this mixture of of you know of religions and different faiths because uh, we have different people who interpreted the original event differently. You, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so the witnesses in an event are need to be measured individually, just like you said. Um, not just 
not just the drawings, but talking to them, their statements, everything has to be separate. They, we do that in policing. We do that in, in, in private investigating, interrogating. We interrogate the witnesses differently. We cross-examine. We try to make sure the story the stories match. Yeah, don't try. Like I said before. Don't, don't try sorry, to do bond, uh, good cop, bad cop. You know, no. yeah. <laughs> but like I said before, to try to figure out if somebody lies, that's how you you, you want to figure out to figure out if they're lying. You need to first figure out what what is common, you know. And so the, you're going to get the truth first. You got to figure out the truth first before you figure out the lie, because you you can't determine what the lie is if you don't know what the truth is. Right, and then the incentive behind the lie, like why. Yeah, motive. Yeah, yeah. We call that motive. Be- yeah, yeah, exactly. Because it's dedication to follow through, have somebody. An investigator actually come to your house and invest, you know, interview you, and you're you're putting yourself out there every day, pushing the story. Well, it's, right? it's a it's appealing too, especially with Mufon uh, being around for so long, being on TV, writing books, being an X file, like you know, all these events. It's very appealing for someone to make a story up because they think that it's going to get them on the History Channel. They think it's going to get them on Ancient Aliens. You know, they they think that that they think that they their story is so big and great that it's automatically going to land them and all these things so there are you, you we do have to watch out for that um tessa luckily for us because we're i would say newer in the sense of of popularity um that works in our advantage because everything we do is private and the purpose of that is because we don't want it to end up in the paper we don't want it to end up on the tv because these are like legitimately serious serious things that nobody you know nobody wants to talk about do you have an end goal though with uh with the with tessa like is there uh, an analytical book that will come out or is there an end well, the end goal, obviously, for anyone in this field is is the answer, is the truth, right? Um, my approach is, is, is very different. I, I'm focused more on the industry itself. I've worked with many other ufologists um, who have different personalities and egos and, and, and all these other things, too, um, who handle the witnesses differently and whatnot. Um, so my end goal for Tessa would be to bring everybody together because being a ufologist uh, or being within the ufology community, I've been, I can't say I'm a ufologist, but I've been called a ufologist, but being within the ufology community, um, I've learned that the word paranormal, you know, is, 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 uh, is very blasphemous in, 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 in some cases where, um, I've spoken at some paranormal events and brought up the word UFO and they love it. They love it like crazy. We also, I also investigate cryptids like Bigfoot and, and Sasquatch and, and things like that too. Um, because I believe it's all connected because the experiencers that are reporting, they also often, they are report, they have, if you dig back in their life, they may have had a ghost experience, but they've also seen a UFO. They've also seen a shadow figure and they've also seen a Bigfoot in their lifetime. So, so somewhere down, somewhere down the line, these things somehow have to connect because this individual seems to be experiencing seeing phenomenon that nobody else can see. So there's something about this individual, um, that allows them to tap into this interdimension, whatever's on the other side of this interdimension, that's subjective to anyone who could see it. Right. So there's always been this issue 
where these camps seem to be fighting against each other. So Tessa's end goal is to bring everybody together and, and acknowledge the commonalities between each industry. Because if we can work together to understand, under, understand all phenomenon, we'll have a better understanding of the phenomenon in general, and we can all work together collaboratively in trying to understand uh, if there is anything um, outside of our own existence, let alone UFOs or aliens, you know, specifically. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I believe I've always had an issue. That was my main thing with MUFON when I was in there is that we got a tremendous amount of UFO, uh, so paranormal events, and people were reporting to MUFON because there was nothing else for them to report to. Um, but they're just not equipped to to investigate those kinds of things because that's not what they are. But people still believe uh, in the MUFON image that they think that they can report to them for these kind of things. So Tessa was kind of created as a uh, as an alternative outlet um, for everything else but UFOs. Um, but the thing is, is I've always I've always done UFOs, and every time I investigate a ghost or investigate. Uh, um, a Bigfoot sighting, there's always a UFO. So like they're, so in my mind, they're all connected and we all need to be working together. Um, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, um, and know my history with MUFON, um, let it be known that like this, this moment, the fact that I'm actually talking with another field investigator is, is, is something I've always dreamed of. Um, and it's the start of of perhaps bringing bringing these uh, these groups together as I've always originally planned, which is something I tried to do while I was within MUFON. Unfortunately, it didn't work out the way I had hoped. Um, but after some time has passed and some leaders have changed, um, thank you for the invitation there, Jason. And you very well may have started um, a new path, bridging the gap. You know. But I, I think that, yeah, we need to pull together and we need to get our egos out of the way and share the information. Because you know what? As a person, I I'm, I could be short-sighted. And not only that, I have blind spots, which maybe you don't have that blind spot. You can see there more clearly than I can. So, And vice, and vice versa. Just be, just because you're not a, a, a licensed private investigator doesn't mean you don't have experience on a subject matter that, that I haven't studied in, right? That's why we call in expert witnesses for everything. And that's, and that's another thing that we're doing with TESA too, is we're trying to create a band of experts in all fields so that way when a report comes in, no matter who it comes in for, even if, if, even if it's an assist, we have resources that could be an assist to move on in the sense of, hey, I got a paranormal case or, hey, I got a cryptid case that seems to be parallel with UFO. We're, we'll investigate the UFO, but can you guys investigate this paranormal stuff and see if it's connected? And then all of a sudden we're working together on the same case because evidently it's the witness or the experiencer who's reached out asking for help. And if we don't help them, then what's the, what's the, what's the point of us being around in the first place? And if you don't know, if you don't know, that's okay. We don't have to be the ones to solve uh, to solve the riddle. We'll never solve it single-handedly. We have to solve it together. 
So, so Tessa, I'm trying to create a, um, a community of experts where we all could just review each other's evidence at the end of the year and say, you know what, this is the best that we got. This is the best that we came up with. Uh, let's, you know, and, and let's, let's really, let's, let's really look at these closer and come to a mutual decision and say, okay, these are definitely unidentified. This group can identify these ones for you. And this is why, and, and then release a commutative uh, report uh, with everybody's um, thought on it, all our experts, all the experts on it. Or it, let's say somebody wants to join Tessa from their end. Let's say they, they live in, in England and they want to join Tessa. Uh, where should they uh, forward their email? So if you go to tessacan.org, so that's T-E-S-A-C-A-N.org, there'll be a link that says volunteer. Just click on that, fill out the app application um it's very it's a little lengthy but uh, the way we do it is you basically tell us uh what you want to do and if there's a position for you that um that we can put you in we'll put you in if there's not one and you have a good idea then we'll create a position for you like you know there's no such thing as a bad idea i mean it, what we mean to you could be it may not be what what we're trying to push out uh, in the world, right? Perception is everything. Right. Now, before I let you go, we need to talk about your podcast, Beyond the Tinfoil Hat. Right. So do you, do you want to explain to uh, the audience what your podcast is all about? All right. Right on. So Beyond the Tinfoil Hat is co-hosted, uh, well, it's actually led by James Delzell. He's, he's the main host. I'm the... I'm the main expert, uh, um, sorry, on his show. Basic, we do bring other experts in here and there. We do have a witness coming in next Thursday um, at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time um, from one of the reports that we did. But essentially what we like to do, or what Jamie likes to do, is he likes to pick my brain and he'll, he'll come up with a bunch of random questions and random things, and he'll ask me on the spot, and we just basically go down a rabbit hole, which is beyond the tinfoil hat. So we'll, we'll talk about whatever's current, uh, maybe some cases that we got going on, um, and it's off the cuff. It's, um, it's live. We do, we do it live on Facebook and YouTube right now, but we take the recording from that, and we upload it to the podcast for those who can't make it, uh, make it live. Um, we read comments, just basically available to have a chit chat, kind of like what we're having right now, where we just, we just chomp at the bit and see where it takes us. Um, what we're going to eventually do though, is bring on witnesses that we've investigated for and dive even deeper into their cases and try to bring on, uh, specific experts. So like, in Tessa, I am the I'm the invest uh, the expert investigator for Tessa, um, but we do have cryptozoologists, we do have a demonologist, we do have a uh, regression hypnotherapist, we do have uh, a spirit attachment practitioner. So that's the open source term for exorcist. Um, so, uh, we do have a, a, a handful of experts and usually what we'll do is we'll bring that expert onto the show depending on what we're talking about. So that way that expert can weigh in, um, kind of like what I was talking about, provide their expertise on the subject matter for the experiencer live on the spot. And the, the goal ultimately is to encourage people to report, uh, report to us. But I will state that you shouldn't just report to one reporting system. 
since this is a collaborative mission, you know, MUFON has a reporting system too. I think you should report to every system that's available to you because the way that I investigate it will not be the same that Jason investigates it. But, you know, if, if we know we're working on the case together, then we can work together and we can get a, you know, we can get, you know, deeper, deeper dive into it. So the more it's your report, that's the thing. It's your evidence. It's your story. So why not share it with as many people? You should report to as many people as you want. And if you get an opinion and you're not happy with it, or even if you're happy with the opinion, report it to somebody else, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, get a fourth opinion, and then come to your own analogy. What the hell is it? Because it happened to you. Uh, working with another ufologist or another person on the case, you should actually be excited for that because you not only get to meet somebody who does what you do, but you can learn from that person or just get to you know have a new person you could bounce ideas off of it grows your community i found this mm -hmm. too ryan like um with doing this podcast how one friendly everybody has been how willing everybody has been to share their knowledge and just the outpour of support from you know the the people in ufology and 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 that's that's exactly how it's got to be and the thing is too is with the bad blood that's been there with mufon for those who who know the story you know from day one that that i that they removed me from the organization i've been available to help they just it just took this long for someone to ask and that was you man right well no i I, I think that you know um i i don't look at that at all and i'm not interested in feuds for me it's about learning mm -hmm. and learning from mm -hmm. everybody from every field mm -hmm. whether you're private whether you're with an organization i even had um uh, ted Rowe on the show and he's the one who okay. made narcap the north american uh, aviation reporting center uh right. so i want i want everybody listening to learn from everybody the same way that i'm learning from everybody because that's how we're going to form some sort of unified theory or at least guidelines, you know, because if I have a cattle mutilation expert on, uh, that gives somebody who's never done a cattle mutilation some some advice on, okay, well, how would I approach this then? I do this, 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 and this. So um, this is what this podcast is all about. Oh, that's great. Uh, that is really good. I don't know. We need that. We need that pool. It's a it's a location for it's a tool actually. You know, for anybody investigating the field, listen to all the Absolutely. all the uh, all the podcasts here and choose your expert. Choose your choose what fits to you. And, and uh, when your academy of ufology starts, where where can somebody find this? Um, is it going to be online? Or are you doing more like in live sessions? So right now, there is a Facebook page. You just uh, you can. S search uh interstellar academy of ufology and paranormal studies or you can actually just join the facebook page for tessa which is the experience your support association everything gets funneled there it's also on the website um we right now we we're, we're based it's it's going to be a hybrid it's going to be available online it's also going to be available to be taught during uh via zoom it's also going to be uh, at our expo at the end of the uh in october of 2021 um, we're going to have a workshop on the sunday um, where we will actually be looking for people like we discussed like experts to teach specific things within their field that they're they're good at you know i would advocate at this point that i would teach you know basic investigations one-on-one -on, -one on all things doesn't matter what your subject matter is just how to investigate. Whereas I might have Richard Palmasano, who's on the team, who would uh, spend a lecture teaching about 
what how to investigate specifically orbs and and you and um, and poltergeist and UFO like in, in collaborative stuff like that too. So, well, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the minute you get the link uh, up and running, definitely send it to me. I will post it okay. on Facebook and uh and really advertise it as well uh count me in i'm in uh i'll definitely take the the course uh i'm, I'm definitely interested well that's sure. good to hear and i'm gonna i'm gonna take this opportunity for whoever's listening to say that uh that we are looking for a in a a mufon canada um representative someone that uh, does understand the collaborative mission. So this would be all for all the people still in MUFON Canada right now, Dave as well, Dave Palachek, who we've done a lot of work for. If you're listening to this, we do we do want to have some sort of MUFON Canada representative on our team just so that way we uh, it can be official that we are working together uh, on this collaborative. But you don't... It doesn't necessarily mean that MUFON Canada is working with TESA because MUFON has a protocol where they're not allowed to affiliate, but we're not asking for affiliation. What we're asking for is an individual who, who investigates that is associated with MUFON that also uh, is able to provide an expert uh, opinion on on ufos and uap so if you jason that's offers to you that offer is to the other jason which is your ci your chief investigator who uh who was the last guy i trained before i left oh yeah, wow so he's wow. your ci i'm very happy to hear and see his work that he's doing so that makes me happy oh he's awesome yeah he's a hoot uh, i said hoot again yeah. Jeez, okay. I'm trying to stop saying hoot. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a blast. Like uh, I I enjoy him. Uh, our emails back and forth are are, are very fun. So. No, he's a great guy. Uh, I I do miss the team. Um, and if you the team is listening, I'm very proud of you all. And uh, keep up the good fight. And uh, you know, I'm here if you still need me. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm just uh, <laughs> so I'm just doing my own thing. Still kicking around. Ryan, I appreciate so much uh, your time on, on this podcast. Thanks, man. And like I said, I, I, I really appreciate the knowledge and that uh, the other ufologists out there will know your work and look into Tessa, uh, maybe even joining Tessa as a side thing. Uh, or if yeah. you're interested in learning or having a case uh, when it comes down to, you know, maybe abduction cases, uh, definitely look for Tessa. Yeah. And then uh, look at the uh, podcast as well, Beyond the Tinfoil Hat, which is uh, how many episodes are you guys in now? Uh, I think we're at 32. 30, 32. Second season right well, now. Con- yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank that's, you. that's a feat. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's they say the average for podcasts is about about uh, seven episodes and then people quit. Uh, so to get past that point and it, well into your third, you know, the thirtieth episode there, um, you know, approaching forty, that's that's crazy good. So congratulations! Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Take